Good morning. Welcome each of you here to worship today, and welcome those watching a television and online as well. Um, I uh, come as we are continuing a journey through this uh, Life Along the Way series. We're reading through the Gospels um, together, and um, uh, we'll come with a certain amount of assumption that uh, you might have read some of the scripture that we're going to be talking about. And then I had my Sunday school class this morning, and everyone was like, uh, yeah, over the holidays, we didn't necessarily do a lot of, we're, we're going to catch up. So um, we'll, uh, we'll make sure we go over the scripture again, uh, in case there's a couple of you that haven't been reading it over the holidays. Uh, but we uh, have been reading this past week in John chapter 3 and chapter 4. Uh, and, uh, you know, the new year is really, it's kind of a good time for a checkup. Uh, I don't know how this happened, but you know, I go see my primary care physician about every six months, and somehow I've gotten on a rotation where uh, one of those appointments is always like the week of Christmas. So it's not really like what you think about, like, oh, I uh, need to wrap the gifts and you know, make the treats and then go see my, my doctor, but that's what, that's what I have to do. Um, but it, it kind of reminded me that New Year's a good time uh, to, to check up on some things. Um, some of you may remember uh, when uh, uh, Pastor Brandon was here, we had a, had a Chinese ministry here at one point, and um, they uh, uh, did a lot of great things, and, and, and at some point they decided to, to move and meet at another location, so we blessed them in that. But, but there was a time period when there were some, some groups um, you know, within that ministry that were having a little bit of trouble getting along with each other. And you know, we have these sort of southern colloquialisms in, in English, as in any language, that don't always translate well. And I remember Pastor Brandon said something to them like, sounds like y'all just need to come to Jesus meeting, you know, which is just something we say, you know, like when people aren't getting along, y'all just need to have a come to Jesus. You know, sometimes moms say, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting, you know, with like teenagers or whatever. Um, but he just kind of mentioned that in passing. And next thing he knows, he's getting a, a formal letter, like on letterhead on his desk, uh, with, with a time and a date where he's being invited to uh, please come to the Come to Jesus meeting for this ministry. And uh, so today, I, I think all of us need to come to Jesus meeting, amen? In fact, that's really, I hope that uh, what I have to share with you today is really a preparation for you as we come to communion today uh, to start the year. This is our Come to Jesus meeting when we take uh, communion together. It's maybe one of, if not the most important ways that we encounter uh, the presence of Jesus and have an appointment with him and, and keep an appointed time to, to meet and to be in his presence. And so John's gospel gives us a couple of meetings in these chapters, chapters three and four of, of the gospel that I think John has deliberately put next to each other to contrast them with each other. Two different ways of having uh, an appointment with Jesus. Um, they're both intended for good, but they're very different in, uh, in their approach and I think John intends for us to see some contrast between them, and that's why he's told the story um, in this way uh, for us. And so uh, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to show us what he would as we come to these texts together. Lord, your way really is better. And so we just do surrender ourselves to you in this moment and um, uh, just know our own stubbornness. Lord, our own, just, well, we're just creatures of habit. We just keep doing the same things, whether it's working or not. And uh, 
And sometimes, though, Lord, you break through and you show us something we hadn't seen before. You give us the ability to feel something we hadn't felt before. We hear something that penetrates deeper than it had before, and we ask for one of those breakthroughs even today, even as Jared was saying, that we would make room for you in this year, that this would be a year even of you breaking through and doing new things in our lives. And so we, as best we can, surrender to you, trusting you for that. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. So in, uh, in these two stories, in John chapter three, we see an appointment where a man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus, uh, and it starts off this way in John chapter three. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, which seems like a non sequitur. It seems like Jesus is just totally skipping tracks here. Like that doesn't seem like it's a response to anything that Nicodemus just said. And so I think uh, we need to pay attention to what's going on here. And, and a couple things about how to read the Gospels. One is, um, in, uh, in modern storytelling, often we will paint the scene as richly as we can with as much detail as possible because that for us is what establishes realism, is to, uh, to tell all the details about a scene, whether it's relevant or not. Uh, and ancient writers didn't really think that way. In fact, when you find a detail in the story in scripture, it's there because it impacts the meaning of the story. They'll tell you a name, uh, then the name is significant. If they tell you a place, a time, whatever, those things are significant. They don't always feel the need to tell you all the setting and everything about the characters unless it's relevant to the meaning. So I'll tell you that just as a tool as you're reading scripture to pay attention, but also to say it matters that it says to us, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Now, we could imagine a lot of reasons why this happened. One, one thing we need to keep in mind in our world of electricity is you know, before electrical powered lighting, people didn't do much at all by night. It just wasn't that easy to just do stuff by night. Uh, and so that's one thing we need to keep in mind. This was a significant undertaking in a way. And the fact that John then is calling attention to the, giving us this detail that he came to him um, by night um, when uh, we might imagine different things, you know, why, why would he do this, you know, and, and there's different proposals that have been put out there, but what I want to suggest is if we look at John's gospel as a whole, we'll see a theme throughout. It, from beginning John's gospel, chapter one, it starts talking about Jesus as coming as the light of the world and the darkness has not overcome it. And in John chapter nine, he's dealing with a man born blind that he talks about, you need to walk while it's still light, while I'm still with you and not be in, in darkness. In John chapter 11, Jesus says something about there's 12 hours of day, you need to walk while it's day because the night is coming. After Judas leaves to betray Jesus, John inserts the little phrase, and then it was night. So there's a, there's a theme throughout John's gospel about night and day and about the opportunity people had as Jesus was coming before them, as he was present to them, that they had an opportunity in a moment uh, that there was a light present for them, but they needed to decide to walk in it while it was day, that they had uh, a time of opportunity there. And so uh, when Nicodemus, it says he comes at night, we need to... Uh, start thinking about what is John implying to us about this? 
Because what Nicodemus initially says to me puts him in a very positive light. When Nicodemus starts off and says, oh, Rabbi, we know, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. My inclination is to view Nicodemus in a positive light. In fact, John would have known that everything about Nicodemus would have, would have led his, his readers to view him in a positive light. He had all the marks of privilege. He is an elder in a culture that, instead of exalting youth, actually exalts uh, the wisdom of elders. He is a ruler, which means he has both political power and financial wealth, which would have been considered marks of God's favor. He's a man in a culture that put men in a different category and level than women, as we're going to see in the next story. And he's a Jew, and he's a leader of Jews. He's a leader of the Pharisees, one of the, these uh, 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 groups that's trying to purify the Jewish religion from within, to, to, to have the highest possible standard of keeping the law. Every mark was there for them to view Nicodemus as the one who's coming with privilege, the one who should be respected, the one who should be honored, the one that we should favor in our reading of this story and see him in a positive light. Uh, and yet, John tells us he comes by night. And as we begin to look a little closer at what he says to Jesus and think about this as, as an appointment, uh, the, the setting of, of, of privilege that he comes with, the fact, but yet the fact that he comes by night, as he begins to, if you think about this as an appointment with your doctor, as he begins to describe the symptoms, so to speak. You know, you go in for the appointment, you got to tell your symptoms so they can give you a diagnosis and then a prescription, right? And so Nicodemus is going to start off the conversation here with his symptoms, but he's saying, oh, we know that you, Jesus, are, are a teacher come from God because of the signs that you do, which means to begin with, Nicodemus has postured himself in a place. He's, he's meeting with Jesus, and he's postured himself as the one who's there to critique Jesus. We know that you are a teacher come from God. Let me tell you about you, Jesus. I'm here the, to place a judgment on you. And the implication here is that he's sort of fishing for more about Jesus to tell who, who are you, Jesus. I'm setting the stage by you know, kind of buttering you up a little bit. We know you must be a teacher come from God. We have determined that. We, the ones in charge here, have judged you as possibly being from God because of these signs that you're doing. But it seems clear to me that he's expecting Jesus then to expound more to say, ah, yes, I, I appreciate that you approve of me. Let, let me give you some more reasons to approve of me. And so when we come to Jesus, we have to be careful about a posture of coming to him in order for us to evaluate him. Well, we could do that very easily, right? I mean, sometimes I've been to a doctor or a counselor or a teacher, and I've sat down, and it, in theory, I'm there for me, but, but what I'm really thinking is, do I trust you? Do you know what you're doing? You know, do, do you show the signs of authority to me? Or do you seem like to me that you are, are knowledgeable? I'm here to judge you. I'm a consumer. I'll decide, you know, whether you're worthy of, of my business as the patient here. Instead of saying, hey, here's, here's my need. See, when, when Nicodemus says, we know you're from God because of the signs that you're doing, uh, one of the things we have to be careful about when reading the Gospels is not let these things called chapter numbers get in our way. 
you look at the very end of chapter two, immediately preceding what went into this, it says this. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. That's immediately what precedes this. So it's just told us in this story, Jesus had people believing in him because of the signs that he was doing, but he did not entrust himself to them. He didn't believe in them. He didn't, he didn't uh, put his trust that they were truly his followers in that moment because he knew it was only the signs that they were seeing. In fact, all of John's gospel is really organized around uh, a, a tension between that Jesus does signs so that people can believe, but they also need to penetrate beyond the sign to the meaning. If they get caught up in just the surface level of the sign, they, they will miss the real meaning. And so John's whole gospel, he's, Jesus is doing signs and he's showing them to him. He, he feeds the 5,000, it's a sign, but then he has to tell them, hey, are you coming to me just for more bread or do you see the meaning of the sign that really the meaning is I am the bread of the world? He, he heals a man born blind so that they will see the sign, but it's not just to prove his power they can heal the blind. The sign is there for them to recognize, oh, actually we're all spiritually blind and need to have our eyes open. The, the meaning that's behind it it's constantly in tension in John's gospel. He's asking, are you gonna stay with it? Are you gonna believe the person? Are you gonna have a relationship with the person and not just with the signs that he's doing? Are you gonna perceive the meaning behind it? And so Jesus sees people supposedly believing him, but, but only because of the signs, not penetrating yet to, that, to the real meaning behind him. And here comes Nicodemus, and he says, oh, we know you're a teacher come from God because of the signs that you do. Jesus responds to him, you know what you need? You need to be born again. Now, I grew up in the church. Maybe you did too. Maybe you've heard that phrase so many times that it might have worn off the shock of it. You know, I mean, we, I remember people talking about just being a born-again Christian, like it's just a thing, like it's a religious category. I'm a born-again Christian. I've been born again, uh, and so forth. And, and I think we can lose just the, the, the shocking moment there. I mean, if you went to your doctor and you described some symptoms that you had, hey, I'm having a little trouble with this, you know, I'm having a little trouble sleeping at night, doc. And he said, oh, his prescription was, you know what you need? Just get born again. That's, uh, that's pretty radical, Jesus. I mean, you don't think maybe I could just, you know, go back a couple years, redo some mistakes, you know, that I made, or maybe I need to go back to my college years. Yeah, I can see how I might need to do that over again. Or how about when I was a teenager? I mean, we all make mistakes when we're teenagers. Yeah, I can see how I might need to learn some lessons from that. No, no, you want me to go all the way back. You just need to start all the way over. You just need to get born again. This is the leader, the teacher, the Pharisee, the ruler, the elder, the man of privilege, the one who thinks he can come and tell Jesus whether Jesus is from God or not. And Jesus says, what you need is to start all the way over and just get born again, which is impossible, as Nicodemus points out. How can a man be born when he's old? Verse 4. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
Notice that Nicodemus immediately goes to what he can do. See, when you get born, I don't know if you know this, um, but you're not really doing the work. It's something that happens to you, right? Now, mom's doing a lot of work maybe, but you're not doing a lot of work. You're just getting born. But Nicodemus hears this prescription, oh, you need to get born again, and he immediately starts thinking, what, how can I do that? Which is the opposite of what being born is even about. Jesus is saying, you need something that you cannot do for yourself. You've come with all this privilege and all of this ability, you think, to, to control your own life, to make things work for you, and you want me to come fit into your structure. Well, you want me to come show you how I fit in to your abilities, all that you've accomplished and what you're up to and the things that you think is your agenda. You want me to fit into that what you think you can control about the world, and I'm telling you, you can't control it at all. You need to get born again, and you can't do that for yourself. He says it's like this. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. You don't understand this. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? So now he's really stumped. And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak things we know and we bear witness what we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe them, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus says, listen, you don't have the capacity. You think because you're your birth, you were born a man, you were born a Jew, you were born a ruler, you were born wealthy, you think because of your position, who you are, and what you've accomplished, that you can figure this out, you can fit me into it. But only you need to be born again. You need to be born of the spirit that you don't understand and only the one who comes down from heaven, referring to himself, only through God's uh, voluntary choice to reveal himself through me, through Jesus, as God has reached out in love to you, giving himself to you by coming in the flesh and, and encountering you now as Jesus Christ, only by believing and responding to that can you even begin to see, much less enter into the kingdom of God that you think you're in control of. For God so loved the world, he says, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. And so the diagnosis for Nicodemus who comes by night is be born again. When we flip over to chapter four, there's another appointment here um, in verse seven. I'm sorry, in verse four, it says he had to pass, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well and it was about the sixth hour. So we learned 
that when the gospel writers give us a detail about time and place, it's there for a, meaning, for a reason, right? And the sixth hour, they had a logical system. We count time from the middle of the night. They had a more logical system of, of counting time from dawn. And so the sixth hour is basically noon, which is the middle of the, the, middle of the day. Nicodemus comes by night. Now he's going to tell us a story about someone who comes right in the middle of the day. It's a woman from Samaria. She came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so here's the setting of this second appointment. Unlike Nicodemus, there's none of the marks of privilege. She's, she is a woman, not a man. She is uh, probably younger, not older. She is not wealthy and in power. She is someone who is having to come by herself. She's isolated from community in the middle of the day in the heat to draw water. And she's a Samaritan, not a Jew. She is someone who is considered outcast by the Jews, who is considered a false Jew, who by birth does not have any claim to Jacob and, and to the promises of God to Israel or to the kingdom of God in any way, and so she is the one who comes to Jesus, and so the setting is exactly the opposite. We, we would expect that she is the one who is not privileged before Jesus, who is not to be favored before him, and yet John is telling us she's the one who's there in the light, in the day. She's the one who's gonna get it. And so Jesus says, give me a drink, and she, uh, she, uh, she questions you know, why he would even wanna talk to her, and he answered her, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Notice that whereas Nicodemus immediately began to think of what he could do, how can I be born again, Jesus calls attention to this woman to the gift of God. He says, if you knew the gift of God, God just wants to give you something right now. God wants to give you something and here's what you need to do. Here's Jesus' prescription for her. Just ask. Just ask. Ask me and I will give you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. And so... Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, I'm here to evaluate you. This woman comes to the well and all she really has to say is, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. And Jesus is offering living water, water that leads to eternal life, water that you will never thirst again if you drink of it. And she says, okay, give me that. And she's the one who leaves recognizing that he's the Christ. He, she goes and she tells others, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. See, Jesus 
knew everything there was to know about Nicodemus. He knew everything there was to know about this woman. He already knew the truth about both of them. One comes to him at night thinking he can judge Jesus, thinking he has privilege. The other comes to him just simply thirsty. And he tells her what she's done and and she recognizes he knows the truth about me and he's receiving me and offering me this water just for the asking. And so what I want you to see about these two appointments is you can come into this place and be giving every appearance of doing things right, of of making yourself look good, of, of doing the things that supposedly make you look good with God and going home and medicating pain with alcohol. And it's possible that you're closer to God when you're doing the latter than when you're doing the former. Because at least in that moment, you're thirsty. See, Jesus' way is different. He comes and he's not looking and saying, show me how you're getting everything right, and then I'll decide if I'm gonna receive you. He comes and he says, show me where you're thirsty. Show me where you're needy. Because he already knows everything you've done. He knows your struggle. He knows what's been done to you and what you've been done to others. And he wants you to bring him your thirst. And he wants you to do it in the daylight instead of remaining in the darkness of night. And so for you today, I would say, each one of us has this opportunity to make an appointment with Jesus, to have this come to Jesus meeting. And I was telling my my. Uh, my wife last week, I said, you know, I want this just to be the year that we, we don't fake anything. You know, that we just are honest with God first and with each other and with our family. There's been so many ways in the past year that God's revealed to me that things that I thought I was okay with that I wasn't okay with, that I was hurt more deeply than I realized, and I needed something from God. There's also been things he's revealed to me where I thought I was doing things for God, that I was really just doing them for myself, and I was hurting other people in the process. And I just wanna come into the light. I wanna come out of the darkness and come into the light to a Jesus who could tell me everything I've ever done because he already knows and just say, I'm thirsty. And I want to invite you to do the same. Let's pray as Pastor Neil comes and begins to lead us in communion. Jesus, thank you for the signs that you've done, the wonders that you've done, that we read about in the pages of Scripture and that we've seen in our own lives, miraculous things that you've done, great and mighty powerful things that you've done. They, they have awakened us that there's something different about you. But now, Lord Jesus, we want to penetrate beyond the signs to just know you and to be known by you. So would you empower us on this day, in this moment, in the way that we come and take this communion, but also in this year ahead, to actually come to you 
to actually reveal our thirst and our need to you. To draw close to you, not in pretension, but in authenticity, in vulnerability. As the wrecks that we are, as the glorious creatures that we are, to just be honest with you and let you give us the water that we need that leads to eternal life. We ask it in Jesus' name.